Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You are watching the 134th episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today we got a bunch of big games. It's our, it's officially week one, finally, and we have three big games that we're going to talk about, but we'll kind of rip through the calendar uh, and, and go through a few more as well. Uh, the big games I'm going to talk about today, Army at Virginia, Loyola at Richmond, Air Force at Denver, and Robert Morris at High Point. Before I get into all of that, we're approaching 10,000 subscribers, so if you're listening to this or if you're watching this, no matter where you're listening or watching, it's YouTube that we're approaching the 10,000 subscriber mark. So if you could just go to youtube.com forward slash laxfactor, get us a subscribe. Let's get over that 10,000 subscriber mark. That would be awesome. Otherwise, like, share, uh, all that other good stuff too. And as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, get yourself some swag. We have branded podcast t-shirts. We have random t-shirts. We have shorts and crap like that. So go to laxfactor.com. And that is it. Let us get into these games here. The first game I want to talk about is kind of a late addition to the schedule. It is number 15 Army at number 6 Virginia, number 15 and 6 via the preseason poll, uh, because at the time I'm recording this at the crack acid dawn, early, early morning, it is uh, still, the new polls still aren't out. So UMass, they had an outbreak on campus, so they had to cancel their game with Army. Army decided, giddy up, let's play UVA in their place, at their place, and uh, we've seen UVA, and we know you know what they've got going, but what does Army look like exactly? And the short answer, Army lost 42 points at attack with Miles Silva and Sean O'Brien departing. They also lost a couple of solid midfielders in Connor DeWitt and Matt Manown. What they have coming back, though, is is really good. Brendan Nickturn, uh, an attackman, young kid, most dependable scorer overall. He can do everything, and he's capable of putting up points in bunches. He went for two goals, two assists in a two-goal loss at Syracuse last year that I got to watch with my own eyeballs. And Nickturn's, Nickturn's a great player. Uh, it'll be interesting to see without his former uh, line mates what kind what you know how his production changes because the kid the kid he's one of those weird kids where. Weird kids. Lenny isn't going to like that. Uh, uh, Brendan's dad. I don't mean he's a weird kid. I mean, he's an odd cover because he could he could put five goals up on you with no helpers. And then last season, he ends up with 19 goals, 27 assists. So his numbers were assist heavy, but the kid could really burn you in any number of ways. He's a, a, a 50-50 threat. He's not the most deadly dodger that you're going to face, and he's not the most deadly feeder that you're going to face, but he is deadly nonetheless. And uh, the kid just never gives up, and he has a, a really good motor. Uh, three man-up goals for Army last year. So Nick Turn, uh, the big returner there on the offensive end for Army. Uh, Bobby Abshire, midfielder, promising midfielder, had a solid output last year. He was their leading scoring midfielder last season uh, with uh, seven goals and seven helpers. And then Jacob Morin, uh, goal-hawking midfielder out of Auburn, upstate New York, baby, 12 goals. And then back on defense, they've even taken some hits on the defensive side. They do get Marcus Hudgens back, All-American uh, defender, so that's huge. He had an assist, 20 cause turnovers, and 26 ground balls in eight games for Army. So Hudgens is an absolute beast of a lacrosse player. Kyle Bear is also very good. LSM, seven cause turnovers, 26 GBs. Liam Davenport and Matthew Horace, uh, two short stick D mids, which are always important to have. And the service academies typically have some really good short stick D mids because these guys buy in fully to their roles. Between the two of them, eight cause turnovers and nine ground balls. And then Wyatt Schulper or Schupler in cage, uh, 61.7% save percentage and six and two as a starter last year in his first year starting for Army. 
And then with with UVA, even if Matt Moore doesn't play, even if Docs Eight can continues to you know need time to get his lacrosse legs under him. UVA can still prove a lot for Army to handle. You know, you look at Army has lost some people. UVA has lost nobody outside of Moore didn't play in their first game. Connor Schellenberger, 4-3 and three versus Towson. Cormier, Peyton Cormier, 6-1. and one. Uh, Charlie Bertrand, 4-2. and two. Xander Dixon looked well, quiet but good. One goal and a helper. Reagan Quinn was also good, 1-1. One one. Petey fucking Lasala, he goes 1-1 one and, one and smoked the faceoff dot versus Towson. Even Jared Connors got in the action and got an assist. And wreaked havoc on the defensive side. Kaloji, you name it, Virginia is deep. So Army, they're going to have their hands full. They're going to have their hands full for sure. They lost quite a bit of legitimate talent, quite a few starters in UVA, not so much. So my prediction, Virginia is going to to most likely win this game, and Virginia could win this game by a margin. I don't even really want to say what I put as my, you know, as what I assume the margin could end up being on here, uh, but I'm going to. And I'm going to say Virginia could very well win, end up winning, winning this game by as many as seven goals. Uh, they probably won't. It'll probably end up being Army will overachieve. But this is one of those first years where you really look at, at the, all of the Service Academy's rosters and compared to their brethren, you know, compared to the other teams in the country, they've lost a lot more. It, I think the, the Army, Navy, and Air Force rosters are going to end up kind of looking like what an, uh, an Ivy League roster would have compared to the rest of the country because all these other none of the seniors stayed I, as far as I know at least between army and air force it looks like if you were a senior you are gone and next man up so the, if anyone can handle it the service academies do every year but I feel like there's a little bit of a talent vacuum that some of these teams that didn't bring seniors back are going to have to face an army maybe one of them but I hope not I hope that army plays tough all year Cuse has them next weekend UVA gets them this weekend and that'll also be a good judge of the ACC teams and how they may match up against each other head-to-head matchups are never a great way to gauge people and I'm actually going to do a video I haven't done it yet but I'm going to do a video showing the difference between how Duke played uh, Denver and Jackson Morrill and just played Denver at X versus how North Carolina did it and why the way that Duke did it there was nothing wrong with it and it will serve them really well down the road in terms of improving themselves uh, in terms of man-to-man defense, whereas UNC, they were automatically sliding, and that doesn't necessarily improve your man-to-man defense, you know, where you're putting your guys on an island and making sure they win their matchup. So they played them very differently. But anyway, I digress. Uh, So, yeah, I think UVA is going to win this game. It could be close, but don't be surprised to see UVA run away. And if they do, this is not an indictment on the service academies. It is a COVID. It'll be, you know, there's a little bit of a COVID strain, I think, on some teams that did not bring seniors back. Next game I want to talk about, and this is, this may be the game I'm the most excited about uh, of the weekend, oddly enough, uh, because Syracuse isn't playing, obviously. It's a number 13 at number 20 Richmond. Now this game intrigues me because both of these teams are ranked. Uh, Both teams have a great core of guys returning, and both teams play a couple of solid out-of-conference games that may allow us to gauge how the nation kind of stacks up. Richmond plays UNC, for example. Loyola plays UVA. Uh, I believe both of those games go down uh, next week. So let's talk about Loyola first. What they have coming back, and when we talk about these two teams, we're not even talking about guys they've lost. We're just talking about the wealth of talent that they've both returned. Loyola 
Aiden Olmstead, 11 and 11. Kevin Lindley, 19 and 1. Peter Swindell, 9 and 7. Poitras, uh, Adam Poitras, uh, 5 and 7. Joey Kamish, 8 and 3. McNulty, one of the best long pole middies to do it, uh, to play right now. 11 cost turnovers, 23 ground balls. Bailey Savio, Fogo, 68.7% last year, so he's solid. Uh, Cam Wires, uh, defender, five cost turnovers, five GBs. He started all five games or started five of their six games anyway. Uh, Matt, another duo of short stick D mids that Loyola boasts, Matt Higgins and Peyton Rasanka, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, two assists, eight GBs and 10 cost turnovers between the two of them. Once again, you have a, a pair of short stick D mids that can play. That helps you a lot on the defensive side of the ball. And then Sam Schaefer and Cage, 57.1%. Uh, very serviceable goalie, three and two as a starter if we go into richmond once again you know they 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 held on to pretty much everybody ryan lanchberry their big cat four goals and 16 helpers richie connell one of the best returning middies in the country and the kid was only just a freshman or no a sophomore from an eligibility standpoint he was 19 and 3 uh, Mitch Savoka, 13 and 6. Tyler Schultz, 4 and 9. Ryan Dunn, 8 and 2. Uh, they, they did lose a midi in the middle of there somewhere. I can't remember who it was, but it doesn't matter at this point. Uh, Sean Mengus, uh, LSM, 26 ground balls, 9 cost turnovers. Dan Reynolds, Reynolds, I don't know, again, uh, an assist, 6 GBs, 4 cost turnovers. And then very solid goalie, Jack Rustbolt, 55.6% last season, but they played a pretty tough non-conference schedule. So that would have gotten up near the 60% range, I believe, by the end of the season had they played it out. But he had 22 freaking saves against Notre Dame. They got waxed in that game. I think they lost that game like 13-6, 13-7, but he stood on his head uh, in that loss. Now, I think this one's going to be a dogfight, fight, fight, a dogfight. It's going to be a dogfight. Both teams return high-quality starters all over the field. Both have depth within their roster, and that depth is spread throughout all of their positions. They have returners coming back and veterans coming back at, at every position. Last season, uh, both played and lost to Duke. Richmond lost 16-15 in OT and Loyola 13-10. Both played Duke respectively. Uh, my prediction in this game, I don't have any like back, you know, history that we can kind of lean on for this one. Uh, recent history especially, but I think Richmond's probably going to pull this one out offensively. I think Richmond may be a little bit better. And then, you know, you just look at kind of the defensive aspects of this game. I think Loyola's key if, 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 um, if uh, what's his name, Savio can dominate at the faceoff X. And if he can really win tons of possessions for Loyola, Richmond could drop this game to them. And, uh, and and in the end, like I said, these are evenly matched teams. So I predict like a pretty much a one goal dogfight. And I'm thinking Richmond may be able to pull this out just because I like their offensive talent. But then again, as I'm sitting here looking back, I mean, Aiden Olmstead and Lindley are both beasts and Swindoll can play. So who knows? I'm terrible at predictions as we know. I'm going to say Richmond, but it's going to be a great game. Both teams are really solid. No matter what happens in this game, both, both teams are going to have very successful seasons, I think. The next game... I want to talk about, and this one, it fe it's weird that you could say or even consider saying that just four games into a season, a team's already facing what feels like a must-win situation, but Air Force at number six, Denver, and it will not be number six for long because they are sure to drop out of the top 10 after their performance against North Carolina. 
This one's important because Denver needs this win badly. They drop this one. They could drop out of the top 20 completely, which who cares about the polls? But, you know, you got to care about what you look like and what your team looks like because at some point in the season, you become what you look like you are. And right now, Denver is looking like a team that cannot fig- hasn't figured it out defensively, cannot put a full game together. They cannot shoot the rock. So, again, Tierney, he'll still have them ready for conference play, but it'll be a bad sign for the Pios if they drop this game to Air Force at home. Why would it be a bad loss? Partly because this, because normally if Air Force beat Denver, you wouldn't say that's a terrible loss, although Denver has a history of handling Air Force, which I'll talk about a little bit. Uh, but the service academies have all lost more talent than the average teams. If we look at Air Force, they lost some starters on both offense and defense. They do get back Brandon Dodd, 11 goals, and uh, 16 helpers, Ethan Grandolfo, 10 goals, four assists, uh, Quincy Peen, nine and one, Brendan Krause, six and one, uh, Braden Host in cage, 53%, uh, four and three uh, as a starter in cage. But uh, he, like I said, Air Force typically plays a pretty solid non-conference schedule. So those numbers would typically creep up. I think he would have been a 55, 57% uh, keeper in the cage. And then uh, Quentin Carlisle on defense is really good for uh, cause turnovers for GBs. So Air Force, they do. They lose quite a bit of talent from last year's roster. And while they did return a lot, uh, I still think this is Denver's game to win or lose. So Denver, when you look at their side, we we know their quantities, and we've already seen them play three times. Ethan Walker, seven and two. Hannah, six and two. Jackson Morrill, six and two. Sorry, Jungle Jack Hannah. I got to get that right. JJ Silstrap did not play against UNC. Wouldn't have made that much of a difference, but uh, he was three and one in his first two games. He's looked very good. Uh, Denver struggled badly on defense against North Carolina. In cage, Thompson, he's been rough. He got benched against UNC early. Uh, and Cole French came in uh, in relief, and he only went 35%. So I presume we're going to see Thompson start. Maybe we see French get a full game here against Air Force, but I I, I, I feel like we're probably going to go back to Thompson. I don't think you can even put uh, the bad start on Thompson. The defense for Denver did that to him. So my prediction is Denver's going to pull this out. I know Denver's been struggling. I know they haven't put a full game together yet, but their backs are against the wall. Air Force is playing their first game. Denver is going to be playing their fourth, and it's going to be at home as opposed to them having to fly all the way across the country to play. So I predict Denver, and I think Denver could win by a margin. I'd say as many as five goals in this game, even though they haven't looked great so far, because I think they'll they'll put a full game together in this one. And before you say I'm crazy, that oh my gosh, you know Air Force plays Duke tough every year, and they've beat them before, blah, blah, blah. Air Force doesn't play Denver like that. Denver beat Air Force 13-7 last year, 11-4 the year before, 11-5 the year before that. So Air Force hasn't played Denver really tough in a long time, you know, as far back as as we care to go. So I I think Denver's going to handle this one. I think Denver's going to get themselves back to 2-2. And hopefully you don't see them play as poorly as they did against UNC. Granted, UNC is filthy, but anybody who watched that game could would be able to tell you that they played te- Denver played terrible offensively early on, and even when they started chipping back in to get above 10 goals, that was partly because UNC totally had to take their, their foot off the gas. UNC could have scored 30-plus goals in that game and could have held Denver under, under 10. It was legitimately either just that bad of a matchup or Denver just totally, totally blew uh, so we, we won't know until we see some more games being played, but uh, that's the truth. Take that to the bank, baby. Uh, so other games that I will be watching closely 
this weekend. I'm not going to talk about every single game, but a couple other games. Robert Morris at High Point. I'm excited about that one. Uh, Robert Morris hung with Duke. Uh, they're experienced on offense. Corson Keeley, Ryan Smith, Jimmy Perkins, Austin Popovich. High Point has Asher Nolting. Uh, so you know they have a shot to be in a game because any at any point, Nolting could pop off. High, uh, let's see. Uh, he was 11-22 and 22 last year. And then High Point also has Hendricks back, Buckshot, and more. High Point struggled last year. They did not have a good start last year. And Nolting kind of struggled with the – just he got overloaded with attention, and he had a hard time and played sloppy at times. And, and Nolting plays sloppy. He's just so good that he can put points up uh, on top of playing a little bit sloppy. Love the kid. Love watching the kid play. Uh, so, I honestly, I like Robert Morris in this one. They won last year 15-11 at home, uh, but you just can't count high, high point out. So, I do think Robert Morris is probably a little bit of a favorite, especially after putting a really good game up against Duke. And I think Robert Morris just has talent. Robert Morris has upperclassmen and veteran talent, whereas high point's a little bit younger uh, surrounding Nolting. So, but it's going to be a great game. I think it should be a really, really good game to watch. St. Joe's at Towson. And everyone's like, why the hell would you want to watch St. Joe's at Towson? Partly because I want to see, has Towson improved? St. Joe's was a solid squad last year. They, re- they return a huge chunk of last year's roster that went 5-2 and two to start the season. So if Towson can play them tough or pull out a win against them, then we know Towson is moving back up in the world again. Like I said, Towson 0-6 last year was easily on pace. with At 0-6, I think they had Duke and Denver next. They easily could have been 0-8. And then they could have been 0-9. They had Hofstra after that. I keep saying that over and over. So, But I still think Towson was much better than that 0 for record showed. So I want to see. I think this game's important because it'll t- let us know. What's Towson look like? And then if we know what Towson looks like, then that starts telling us a little bit more about who they play. And then we're all really curious. And normally I don't put, like I said, I don't put a whole lot of stock into head-to-head matchups. But this year, with these rosters just being so weird and, and they're not being turnover, it, that that's the part that makes me really curious about the head-to-head matchups to see what teams do against like opponent opponents, even though you can't really put a whole lot of stock into it. Another game that I think is important, and actually, did this game, is this the game that just got canceled? I was going to talk about Villanova and Delaware. And oddly enough, I believe that that Villanova and Delaware game may have just gotten canceled. And I'm going to come in here and take a look. Actually, you know what? Forget it. Let's just go right to the calendar. Uh, and then we'll talk just a couple more minutes about a couple more games here. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about quick was uh, the Ward. Matt, I think it was Matt Ward who called the um, Duke game. And in the Duke game, Matt Ward had made mention that uh, that um, Nakai Montgomery looked disinterested. Now, immediately after he said it, I was like, well, I, th- I didn't think anything of it other than, ah, I think that's not the right word to call a Division I lacrosse player that's playing at Duke disinterested. I think that's not what he meant. What I be- what immediately I thought he meant when he said that, because I felt this way about Mont- Montgomery last year, was that he did look not aggressive enough. When you watch Montgomery when he's playing well, you're just like, holy shit. Like, how is anybody in the country going to be able to keep up with this kid? He's big. He's athletic. He's got an absolute cannon of a shot, and he's got a really high lacrosse IQ. One of the biggest things that he did last year 
in the year before, even through his struggles last season, was he became a much better feeder. So where he's getting all this attention on his dodges, you know, he adds that whole aspect of the game where, hey, I'm just going to pop it off to the next dude down the line and he's going to score the goal. So Montgomery is becoming a more complete player. When Ward said he was disinterested, I took it as he meant he lacked aggressiveness. And you can't argue that. That 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 entire first midfield line for Duke last year at one point was playing so poorly that first midfield line became the two, the second midfield line. And the the, the twos got the, the first line runs because they looked better. They gelled better. They they I don't want to call it disinterested. What it looked like to me was that that first line wasn't gelling at all. It looked like they were getting frustrated. It looked like they were taking odd chances. And then it, to some degree, it looked like they just weren't trying to go. And I think that was one of the big problems with Duke off- Duke's offense last year. The offense for the first time was really going to have to be anchored by that midfield because they didn't have any dominant Dodgers on attack. Nakai Montgomery was one of their best Dodgers, and he just had a, a rough rough go of the season. So we had people on lacrosse Twitter, a bunch of douchebags, pretty much trying to call Matt Ward a racist. None of them outright said it. They were all doing that whole virtue signaling thing where they're just like, oh, we know what that was about. And it's like, no, you dumb fucks. That's not what that was about. He was trying to say that he felt like he lacked aggressiveness. I think that if you truly quizzed him on it, that's what he was going to say, and you're all just jumping the gun like a bunch of tool bags trying to call an an innocent man a racist. Was If he did mean that he was disinterested, does that mean that he was a racist? No. You could have made the argument that their entire first line looked disinterested based on the fact they were playing like hot poo through a good stretch of the season last year. Um and we know they know this. Nakai Montgomery doesn't need anyone defending him over Matt Ward's comment. Nakai Montgomery is a great kid. He's with a great program, going to a great school, one of the best midfielders in the country. This kid, you know, he's got the world by the balls. And uh, all these people trying to call for, they were hitting up Anish Shroff, trying to tell Anish that he had to go public, like he had to apologize for him and that he had to approach, you know, you Twittered motherfuckers, get over yourselves. Nobody gives a shit about, I think it was what, three people on Twitter, two people on Twitter that were stirring shit up. And I won't even mention their names because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And then there was a couple of people that didn't even see the situation that you could tell. They didn't hear it, but they were piling on and agreeing with these douchebags. So I stand with Ward on that one. And I bet you that Nakai Montgomery has probably heard about this. Now, he may not even have heard about it because for normal humans, this was a non-issue. Um, for virtue signaling douchebags, this was racism at its, at its worst and uh, it, it was just stupid, stupid. I didn't even want to talk about it, but it, it made me that mad. And I was sitting here wanting to chirp these people. You know, if you don't want to be a douchebag on Twitter about this kind of stuff, do something in your real life. You know, I had, I think I've told this before. I'm not a big hashtag cause guy. I may live your life and be an example to the world kind of guy. And I may have spoke of this on the podcast before. I had, I once had a, a black lacrosse player. Uh, I'm not even going to mention his name, although when he hears this, he's going to know it was him. And it's not you, Wes. I'm not talking about you. Um, uh, so anyway, this player, incredible lacrosse player, great kid. He had gone to another school. Things didn't pan out there. He actually busted his ankle at the other school that he had went to. So he ends up at Broom playing for us. He didn't want to be there. He was, he was far better than what we were, you know, at that point, it was my second season there. So at this point I was just delighted to have this all American caliber attackman on my team. And uh, so during the year, he was tearing it up. I think he put up 69 points on the season or something like that. Uh, and then he ended up playing at, uh, at uh, where'd he go? Belmont Abbey. Played two years at Belmont Abbey and did great there as well. So anyway, moral of the story, we had a photographer 
that used to come to our games, tape the games, and then he would try to peddle the pictures to the parents and to the players. And during the game, this photographer, we're talking about this player, and he, he's, he's, I'm just, I can tell where this is going. Right off the bat, I could tell this guy's fishing, and he's just waiting to say whatever stupid comment is in his brain that he wants to say. And at one point I'd said, oh yeah, the kid's great. Kid's great. He's going to, you know, we got a couple of schools that we're talking to uh, for him. And the guy said, yeah, but can he even read? And that's racist. And am I, am I going to try to say that that guy was racist? Maybe not. You know, he definitely said a racist thing in that moment. And you know what I did in that moment? I didn't say anything in that moment because I'm coaching. I'm on the sideline, literally coaching in the middle of a game. You best believe that after that game and I had time to stew on that, I immediately went to the assistant AD who was on the field with us. And then I went to the AD and that motherfucker never stepped on campus again after that incident. That's how you combat racism. You don't hear something on TV that you don't know if it was racist or not, and then start spouting off on Twitter. Like you're some kind of fucking hero after it. You don't do that. What you do is when you see racism in your real life, you do something about it. You don't pop off at Matt Ward for saying a player was disinterested. That is not racist. That is a, a, you, at worst, it is a, a TV guy in the middle of the moment using the long word, wrong word, or just having a bad take on a player. You know, is, is Nakai Montgomery disinterested? No. But did did Nakai Montgomery look like he was struggling last year and not gelling and not having a good flow? Absolutely. So anyway, that's a total ramble, and I went off on that. I'm sorry, but uh, I, it had to be said. No one's even going to hear this. It's going to care. But if you hop on lacrosse Twitter and you see some of these douchebags that are popping off calling Ward a racist, um, do what I did. Hop in and call them out because just like I'm willing to call out racism and to try to fight it in my regular life, uh, where I see people popping off like morons on Twitter, uh, calling someone who I don't believe to be a racist, uh, a racist that infuriates me almost as much as when I see real racism, because you could really wreck someone's life by calling them a racist. I've had someone call me a racist before. Um, I forget why. For I had someone calling me a racist and a colonizer for implying that if you want the sport of lacrosse to grow, money has to be a part of that. And this weirdo on some Facebook group started calling me a colonizing racist. Uh, so I, you know, I've felt that before and have been accused of racism where I thought it was stupid. But uh, the best thing you can do, don't join these fucking hashtag movements. I'm sorry that I'm cussing like crazy, but you could tell this made me angry. Uh, do something in your real life. You know what I mean? Mentor kids um, where you do see if you're standing in the grocery store line and you hear someone popping off with some racist crap, call them out in the moment. It's the people who pop off on Twitter that don't really stand up for anybody in real life. Those those two douchebags on Twitter, if they had somebody say to them what that photographer said to me in their real life, they wouldn't have said shit. That's why they're popping off on Twitter like they're tough guys. So um, I stand with Matt Ward on this one. I think that was stupid. Uh, I, I see that Anish did not reply at all, which I figured was probably intelligent of him to not get involved in that. But I'll get involved in that crap all day. You show me some racism, I will fight it with you. You pop off on Twitter about something that was that you have to really stretch it uh, to call it racism. I'm, uh, I'm not with you on that. I think you're a douchebag. Uh, so I think that's it. I think we're going to end on that note here. I, I did bring up the schedule, but we kind of talked about the games that we wanted to talk about. We do have a game today. I believe it is uh, Jacksonville and Bellarmine, assuming they end up playing. We got Jacksonville, Bellarmine at noon today. So I have uh, my last call is at 11 a.m. today here. So I'll be watching some uh, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Bellarmine as I'm working today here in the office. 
And then uh, we go through the UMass Army game got canceled. I think Villanova, Delaware may have gotten canceled due to uh, COVID issues with that team. Let me see who else we got. Eh. Not not a whole lot. Uh, UNC does play Jacksonville on uh, Saturday, so that one will be interesting to see. And then our two, then we go into next like Tuesday game. So that's it. I'm gonna end it with my rant here about uh, Ward, and uh, I know I'm gonna take some shit for that, but you can all bite me. Uh, you don't have to watch if you don't want to. So I'll, I'll give you that one. But yeah, I I love lacrosse. I'm very excited for week one of college lacrosse action. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. And uh, go to laxfactor.com to get yourself some swag. If you're an audio listener, anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor is the home. But you can get us anywhere where we have podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, probably Amazon Podcasts at this point. I'm not sure yet. And um, I think that's it. I will be back Saturday morning, 10 a.m. for the live stream to just talk about a bunch of games that are coming into the day. And then we may, listen, I might move the show from Sunday to Monday. Uh, I might still, I probably will still shoot it Sunday evening, but put it out Monday morning. I did not like not recapping Sunday's games and there's going to be games on Sunday next week and the week after Syracuse plays a lot on Sundays and I want to recap their game. So I may bump this week. I'll probably do Sunday show on Sunday. Almost definitely. I might bump it to Monday next week. I'll let you fools know as we go. So that is it. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And uh, I will be back Saturday morning for the live stream and Sunday for the weekend recaps. That is all. Hoost is out. (laughs) 